This is the Canoe Creek Podcast. Our vision is to help people in our community connect to God, grow in Christ, and go serve others. We are located at 4080 Pine Tree Road, and our Sunday morning service times are 9 o'clock and 10.30. Thank you for tuning in. All right, so I have some explaining to do, okay? Now, if you've been with us for the last six, seven months, particularly last fall, you may be looking at this picture in this video and going, wait a second, this looks familiar. Am I having deja vu? No, you're not having deja vu. This was a plan from the beginning. We are studying the book of James, and we're talking about life, and uh, we're revisiting this series. We started it back in the fall, and we really uh, just basically split it in two. We did half of it in the fall and half of it right now. This was our This was our plan from the beginning. Uh, We did that so that we could make it a little bit more enjoyable, make it a little bit more palatable, you know, smaller, shorter series. That way we're not just, you know, dragging on forever. And so in this series, we have talked in the past about things like our anger. We've talked about our speech because, you know, James gives us some really practical lessons and advice on how to live life on purpose. You know, you see that tagline, it's more than a game. And so um, if you want to go back and listen to any of those messages, you can just go to our website, click on sermons, and there's lots of uh, really good messages uh, you can go back and listen to if you want to kind of catch up with where we are. But we're going to continue our series in James, uh, you know, Game of Life, and uh, we're going to be in James chapter 4 today, and we're actually going to be talking about our desires. We're going to be talking about the things that we want, the things that we set our heart on, and how it affects our actions, how it affects our, our thoughts, our heart, and uh, the consequences that come from our desires as well. So, you know, in continuing with this, this game board type theme, you guys ever played the game of life? You know, kind of going old school, right? Not many? All right, raise your hand if you have not played the game of life. All right, there's some people not telling the truth in here somewhere. All right. The way the game of life works is, you know, you have all these decisions that you get to make, you know, right off the bat. You know, you graduate high school, I guess, and, you know, you have the choice of going to college or going straight to work. You know, one gets you more money quicker and the other one gets you more money later on. You know, you have a choice whether you want to buy a house or rent. You know, you have a choice about getting married. You, you have kids, all these different things, you know, all throughout the game of life. Now, you know how to win at the game of life? It's when you retire, and at the end of the game, whoever has the most money when you retire wins the game of life. Now, here's the thing, though, right, is that a lot of times, for better or for worse, we think about this way in real life, that, you know, it's whoever has the most money at the end of the game, when all the chips go back into the board, you know, that's, that's, how, that's who wins at life. And so, you know, we... We, we have different ideas about what it means to really win at life. And so I want to ask you a question. You can just, you know, just where you are, just kind of think about it, okay? Just kind of take a mental stock of yourself, okay? So my question is, when it comes to winning at life, when it comes to success, when it comes to, you know, the things that we envision or the things that we dream about, the things that we want, what comes to your mind when you think about winning at life? Just think about that for a second. What comes to your mind when you think about success, when you think about, you know, what is, like if you consider yourself to be winning at life, what does that look like? You know, for a lot of people, it looks like, you know, 
money or it looks like luxury. We place such a high value in our society on comfort. Comfy car, comfy couch, you know, comfy chairs, you, know, all, you name it. Or maybe for you, success looks like, you know, the model family that your children are well-behaved in public and your family is something that you're proud of because it makes you look good. It could be your, your idea of success is having the perfect spouse, the model husband or the model wife. You know, so just think about that for a second. What does winning at life look like for you? So for some of us, it's peace and, and security and it's really simple. It's just a matter of, of provision and just having our basic needs. But it looks different for each person. What does that look like for you? Now, here's the thing, right? So these desires, okay, are natural. It's natural for us to want to win at life. God created us this way. When God created the world, everything was good. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden and he gave them a job to do. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth, to rule over the earth. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They, they built things, they created, they you know, uh, built structure and uh, they tended the garden. And so it's natural for us to want to succeed, to uh, gain and build and um, you know, produce. It's also natural to want those things. It's natural for us to desire good things like that. And it's natural for us to want to win at life. But here's the problem, okay? And here's where everything kind of goes, you know, off kilter. Is that sometimes our desires can lead to, to dysfunction. Sometimes our desires can cause dysfunction. Because you and I both know that sometimes our desires can cause us to do pretty crazy things, right? You know, our desire to watch Netflix for hours on end can cause us to just lack, you know, go without sleep for hours and, and you know, well into the night. You know, you've, you remember maybe you did this or you, your grandson or your son does it where they drive halfway across the country to be with the girl that they're crazy about, you know. You know, desires can cause us to do some pretty crazy things. And if we're not careful, it can even delve into dysfunction, so to give you uh, an example of this, you know, on a large scale, I wanted to give you just kind of a real practical um, example. Um, and so I wanted to talk to you about the story of Jurassic Park. So if you have, that was supposed to be funny, man. Okay, I know, it, I got some laughs. All right, come on, guys, we got to loosen up. Ready? All right, so, and by the way, did you know that Jurassic Park, that movie, like that, that movie is like 25 years old. Is that crazy? I'm 28 years old, so what does that say? Like, that, I'm, that makes me sad. I'm, it's starting to make me feel old, okay? Anyway, I just thought that was, was kind of crazy, a little depressing, all right? Anyway, the story of Jurassic Park. You guys know how that story goes, right? So you got John Hammond. He's this, uh, you know, typhoon, uh, millionaire, entrepreneur guy, and he has this dream of building this amusement park of dinosaurs. So he hires a team of scientists, because he can, to explore the area of cloning, and then they figure out a way to clone extinct dinosaurs. And their dream, their desire, their plan is to create this island and this amusement park where people from all over the world can come and see these dinosaurs that have been extinct for all these years. And so in order for the, the park to succeed, in order for it to open officially, you know, the, 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 um, the shareholders and things like that, they want it to be endorsed by some experts. And so John Hammond, you know, contacts people like, um, you know, Dr. Grant, you know, Ellie Sadler, and he, they also bring in this guy, right? Ian Malcolm. You guys remember Ian Malcolm? 
Jeff Goldblum, he's, all, he's dressed in all black. He's got the long black curly hair, the glasses. He's kind of like the smart aleck in the movie. He's my favorite character. So, um, but, you know, so they, they come to the, the park and they kind of get a tour of how the scientists were making the dinosaurs and, you know, the vision for the park. And so at a certain point before they actually go into the park, Ian Malcolm, they're sitting around at a table eating and, and Ian Malcolm warns John Hammond of the danger of what they've done. You know, and they go back and forth a little bit and John Hammond defends his scientists because they've done something that science has never done before and broken through barriers and, you know, all this revolutionary, you know, scientific stuff. And Ian Malcolm comes back and says, but, but John, here's the problem. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they never stopped to ask or think or wonder if they should in other words, their desire to uh, you know, push the bounds of science, their desire to open this park for all the world to see was so great that they never actually stopped to think about the consequences of their actions, to think about the consequences and the effects of what they wanted to do. And as you know, or you could probably guess if you haven't seen the movie, the results are a lot of dysfunction, isn't it? You know, I mean trying to build a, a flimsy electrical fence to keep in the Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, who thinks about that, right? Build me some concrete or something, you know, a mile thick. I don't know. But there's a lot of chaos, running and screaming and death for about, you know, two hours. It's awesome. It's one of my favorite movies. But the point is that, is, is this. Our desires, left unchecked, can lead to dysfunction. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, that's, you know, great for that movie, and it was a book, and it's not real life, you know. Well, let me bring it down to, to just a real practical everyday example. And you've, you've maybe done this, or you maybe have seen someone else do this, but it's becoming more and more common, okay? It's becoming more and more common for us to give our kids, and even our toddlers, and even our younger kids, to give them screens, to give them screen time, whether it's a TV or a video game or an iPhone or an iPad. You know, it's becoming more and more common for us to give our kids that. Now, think about this. You would, nowadays, you, you wouldn't even imagine going on a road trip without something, some type of video or movie or game for the kids to play in the back. Am I right? Like, we wouldn't even imagine that. But if you do any amount of research, okay, any amount of research today, any article, anything you, you find on the Internet, you will discover that giving our kids significant amounts of screen time can be detrimental to their development. It can hinder their ability to uh, develop social skills. You know, it hinders their ability to be able to look you in the eye. It hinders their ability to be able to focus on tasks, to be able to concentrate. It hinders their ability to sleep. And yet, we continue to give our kids screen time. Why? Because our desire for peace and quiet is so strong. We desire peace and quiet. So the quickest thing to do when your kid starts fussing on the living room floor, or maybe you're in church, I'm guilty of it, is you just pull out the phone and give it to them screen time. It captures their attention and, you know, helps them to be pacified and be quiet. Because we so greatly desire that peace and that quiet and order without chaos. If we're not careful, our desires can lead to dysfunction. Whether it's on a grand scale like Jurassic Park or World War II 
or it's on a smaller scale with our child's, like, like with our child's development. If we're not careful, left unchecked, our desires can lead to dysfunction. So the question I have for us this morning is this. How do we win at life, right, with our desires that we have, whatever we picture as success, how do we win at life and keep our desires in check? And how do we win at life and do it God's way, channeling our desires to keep them submissive to God's will? Well, fortunately for you and me, this letter we're going through, the book of James, letter of James, he writes a section that deals with this very topic. And that's who we're going to look at to tell us um, not just how or not just what to do, but how to do it when it comes to truly winning at life. So go ahead and pull your Bibles out and uh, meet me in James chapter 4. James is a letter that's in the New Testament towards the end, right after Hebrews, um, kind of in that last section of pages there. And we're going to read in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and see what James has to say about what it means to truly win at life, what to do, and how to do it. Okay? All right, James chapter 4, starting in verse 1, and he says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they not come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have... So you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And there's one verse I really want you to pay attention to in this little section right here. It's verse two. It's where he says, you desire, but do not have. So you what? So you kill. Sounds kind of intense, doesn't it? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Our desires can cause us to do some crazy things. And here's the thing I think that James is trying to tell us, if I was going to put it simply. Your heart gets what your heart wants. Whatever it is you have your set your mind on, or you're, you're dreaming about, your heart's going to get it in one way or another. Or you're going to get the effects of your efforts to get what you want. Just think about Jurassic Park. Did they get what they wanted? No. What they got instead were the consequences of their efforts. And it led to a lot of chaos and dysfunction. You do not have what you desire, so you kill. And now, it may be that you don't have what you desire, but you're trying so desperately to get it. And you may not be killing, but you may be stealing life away from someone or from yourself. Now, I'm going to share a story with you. I shared it in first service. It's a little bit more interesting now, and I'll explain why. Um, But I wanted to share with you a story about how um, this played out in my life. So I was about six or seven, and I was playing Chinese checkers with my grandmother. And the reason why this story is interesting is because she's actually with us today in this service. So this is kind of like a confession from me to my grandmother, and you all are just witnesses of it, okay? So I'm sharing my heart with all of you vulnerable. Okay. (laughs) So we played Chinese checkers and I'm a competitive person. And so I love to win. And, uh, you know, my grandmother and I have a great relationship. We're friends, you know, we make each other laugh, you know, we talk all those different things. And so, you know, we trust each other. Well, I don't know what 
pushed me to do it. But, you know, she was visiting us in Texas. We were in the living room playing Chinese checkers. And, you know, my mom called for my grandmother's attention. And so she, you know, was, we were playing and she looked back at the kitchen or wherever it was my mom uh, was calling from. And, you know, while she was looking, you know, I just took just, just one piece, just, you know, because it's, you know, it's like checkers or, or Chinese checkers. One piece can like just open up the whole board and just be like, bam, 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 win. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, she was looking, I just, it's just a small thing, right? That was over 20 years ago. I don't remember who won. I don't remember if I ever came clean. I don't remember, you know, I don't remember anything but the guilt that I feel from having done that. I'm taking advantage of someone who trusted me, who I have a relationship with, a friendship with. And that's the thing is that some people want to win at life so badly that they cheat and they think that it's just a game. It's not going to have any consequences. But life is more than just a game. And if your heart is set on something that is not glorifying God, you're either going to get what you want or you're going to get the consequences of your efforts. And I still carry that guilt with me. I still feel bad about having taken advantage of my grandmother that way. Your heart gets what your heart wants. And this plays into other areas as well. If you, you know, if you're a young man and you're struggling with, struggling with pornography, it doesn't matter what accountability fact, uh, you know, measures you put in place, there are so many different ways to get what you want that your heart's going to get what you want, even if it just means closing your eyes and using your imagination. Your heart gets what you want. If you want more money, there are so many different ways to get more money in this world, whether it's you know, cheating on your taxes, lying to get a promotion, or even stealing money from a convenience store. There's so many different ways to get what your heart truly wants. But then James goes on to tell us this, and he completes this thought for us. He says this, starting in verse four, you adulterous people. Thanks, James. Love you too, man. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? That's a fancy way of saying that makes you an enemy. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. There you go. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Really simple. If you're a friend with the world, you're an enemy of God. Sounds a little stark, a little, you know, drastic. But if you think about it logically, you can't serve two masters. And it's true. And basically what James is saying here is that when it comes to the game of life, there are two people playing, two people opposed to each other, two players. You have the world side and you have God's side. And basically what James has done is he's drawn a line in the sand and said, hey, choose. Which side are you going to be on? You're going to win at life the world's way and do life the world's way? Or are you going to do life God's way? Because here's the, the secret, okay? Jesus wins. Like, he wins. You know, it's like he, he's already defeated death and defeated sin. Like, it's the best cheat code you could ever have for any type of game, video game there ever was. Like, Jesus wins. So what James is saying here is your heart's going to get what your heart wants. So want Jesus because he wins. 
And if you do life his way, things are going to go well for you. Andy Stanley is a preacher uh, over in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. He preaches at uh, North, uh, North Point Community Church. And he said this statement, and it's so simple, it's so brilliant, that it'll, it, it's literally going to just blow you away, okay? But I wanted to borrow it and use it for us this morning. He says this, Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. Think about that for a second. Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. In other words, not only does he make your life better, if you, you know, if Jesus, um, if you make him your Lord and Savior, you know, he brings to you a great sense of joy, a sense of redemption, a sense of peace and hope, which we so desperately need in this world. But not just that. If you choose Jesus, he's going to make you better at life. He's going to make you more successful, more productive in God's eyes. Because here's the thing, okay? God designed the world to work a certain way. When he created this world, he designed it to work a certain way. He gave us healthy boundaries, healthy guidelines. And if we live within those, it's going to go well for us. Does that mean you're going to become a millionaire overnight? Maybe not, not unless you have that gift. Does that mean your life's going to be easy? No. Does it mean your life's just going to be, you know, no, have no worries? No. Jesus said in this life you're going to have trouble. But he said, take heart because I have overcome the world. I win. And if you do life God's way, good things will come. Because here's the other thing, right? God knows that you have desires in your heart. He knows that you have dreams. He knows that you have aspirations. He knows that you have your basic desires of just wanting to make sure the next meal is on the table, wanting to make sure that your kids are okay, wanting to make sure that you don't have anything to worry about, that you have shelter. He knows those basic desires, and he longs to fill your desires with good things. When Jesus was here, remember what he said? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. Now, you can quote me on this, but just make sure you put it in context, okay? Jesus literally wants you to live it up, but do it God's way. Because if you live it up God's way, you're going to have true life, true peace, and true success, because you're doing it in God's eyes. Because he wants to fill your desires with good things. He says this in Psalm 103. This is David writing this to us and to the Lord. Psalm 103, verse 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sins. Okay, that's a good thing. Heals all of your diseases. That's a good thing. Who redeems your life from the pit. That's a very good thing. But it gets better. He crowns you with love and compassion. Just picture that. He wants to give you something that's so good that he actually makes you royalty in his eyes. In verse 5, this is the most important part, okay? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. If you think about an eagle, an eagle is the picture of success, is the picture of strength, is a picture of victory. He wants to give you good things so that you can literally fly like an eagle. You don't get that, do you? That's before your time. That's before my time, actually. 
But he wants to give you good things. He wants you to succeed and live life to the full. But he wants you to do it his way because he knows that if you do it his way, you'll be blessed. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect, but it'll be better. It may be super intensely difficult. You may go through life with challenges you couldn't even possibly imagine, but it'll be better. You could be experiencing the greatest heartbreak that you've ever known, or someone in your life could be experiencing trauma. But if you do it God's way, it'll be better. Our heart gets what our heart wants. So want Jesus. Why? Because Jesus makes our life better and makes us better at life. But here's the catch, okay? Here's the hard part, right? Here's where, you know, relies on us a little bit, right? There's, there's a sacrifice that we have to make, okay? Finish with me as we finish out this, uh, this section. And James tells us, you know, not just what to do, but how to do it, how to win at life God's way. He says this, starting in verse seven, submit yourselves then to God. That, I could stop reading right there and that would be all that we need to know because that's hard. That looks like saying no to ourselves so that we can say yes to what God wants for our life. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's going to require something of us. It's going to require a great sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice of humility. It's a sacrifice of Basically, getting serious. The message is a paraphrase of scripture. And in this section, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, he writes it this way. The fun and games are over, so get serious. Really serious. Life is not just a game. It's going to require us to say no to ourselves so that we can say yes to God. Or like in this, in this first verse here, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's going to take a fight. There could be some bloodshed. I don't know. But you're in a fight for your life. Get serious. Stop treating life like a game because some people do that. Some people treat life like a game, like they can cheat life, right? And not worry about the consequences or the effects. He says, no, get serious. That doesn't mean you have to be doom and gloom depressed, but take life seriously. It's going to take some work, but there's a promise that comes with it. Did you get to that last line? In verse 10, humble humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Not I'm going to lift my up, not I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, not that I'm going to pave the way to success. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in his eyes, in his way, so that you have victory the way God defines it. So what does that look like? What does that sacrifice look like? Because it's going to take some work for us. It may require telling ourselves no, submitting in that way. It may require a fight. So um, if we have anyone here who is a, like a chemistry major or maybe a, you know, a, a science major and you're thinking about you know, entering into the science field, and maybe you're thinking about exploring the, the side of science that involves cloning, 
And if you're thinking to yourself that maybe, may, just maybe this dinosaur thing could work out, just, just telling you to stop where you are, say no to yourself, and if you need more convincing, come over to my house. I have a couple of films I want you to watch. You can bring the popcorn. I'll supply all the Dr. Pepper you need. But it also could look like this. Maybe you're giving your kid too much screen time and you need to say no to that. Maybe you need to sacrifice whatever it is you're doing. You know, stop reading the Wall Street Journal or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing, your peace and quiet, and get down on the floor with them and engage. Yeah, it's a sacrifice of your time, but it's better. It's better. Your heart gets what your heart wants. So want Jesus because Jesus makes your life better and it makes you better at life. Now, I want to give you a tool to use, okay? You can use this tool for grand things in your life or even just really small, uh, you know, practical everyday situations, okay? But it's three questions. They build off of each other. I'm going to ask you um, the questions and you kind of just think about it. But you can ask these questions of yourself and it's a great tool to help us check our desires because my intention is not to get you to limit your kid's screen time, okay? My intention is to get you to stop, Slow down and think about what it is that you want. So this is the first part of the tool, okay? You can use this. First question. What do you want? What, do, what is it that you want? Whether it's a dream, whether it's ice cream, <laughs> you know, what is it that you want? Lunch? Second question is, why do I want it? Okay? And just stop and start thinking about it. Why do I want it? Now, the third question, this is the most important, Okay? Third question is, how do I get it truly? And the reason I say truly is because I want you to think of how you get it God's way. How do I get it truly? In other words, how do I get it the way that God wants this for me and in my life? So let's, let's try this out, okay? Let's use an example. So let's just say that maybe you got kids or maybe you're babysitting, or maybe it's your grandkids that you're looking after, and you've got toddlers in there in the living room with you, and they're on the floor, and it's starting to get fussy. You know, they're starting to get bored, starting to be, you know, a little chaotic, right? So first question, what do you want? You want them to stop crying. You know, you want them just to, to chill out, relax. You know, I'll get you another lollipop later. Second question, why do you want it? You want them to stop crying. Why? Because you want peace. You want order. You want to be able to sit down and read your Wall Street Journal or whatever it is, you know, outdoor magazine. I don't know. You want to be able to have peace. You want to be able to heal yourself, uh, think, and just kind of relax and be able to breathe. Third question. How do I get what I want truly? God's way. You want them to stop crying so you can have peace, so how do I get it truly? Well, you have two options, right? You could go the screen route, which is quick and easy, but it hinders your child's development. Or you could do it, which I think is more of God's way of doing it. You could do it by saying no to yourself, okay? Getting down on the floor, engaging with your kids, which will help them to stop fussing because you're helping to entertain them, but you're helping them to develop. They're interacting with you. They're looking at your eyes. They're focusing on you. They're learning through, you know, texture and touch and, uh, and, and through their senses, not through a screen. 
You could do one or do the other, and they're both going to get you what your heart wants, but they're also going to get you the results and the consequences of your efforts. And on one hand, you have the hindrance of your child's development, which may, you know, may or may not make you feel guilty later on, or maybe even guilty in the moment. Or you could do it the hard way, you know, you, and actually feel good about what you're doing. It feels good to sacrifice sometimes. And it feels better. That's just a small example of how you can use that tool. What do I want? Why do I want it? And how do I get it truly? You can use that for your life, for your visions, your dreams. You can use it for your next craving of ice cream. Just think about it. But the point is to get you to stop and think about how to get what you want and do it God's way, to check your desires. So I want to tell you the story of a man named Scott Harrison. Scott Harrison learned how to do life one way and then realized quickly how to do life the right way. Scott Harrison is the man who founded the organization called Charity Water. You may or may not have heard of Charity Water, but uh, basically it's an organization that provides clean, drinkable water to developing communities all over the world, especially in places like Africa or India, those places that don't have access to clean water. The reason that this happened was because Scott Harrison saw the effects that dirty water has on people, causing all kinds of sicknesses and illnesses and, and diseases. So he, des- he decided to start this organization. But I want to take a step back and actually tell you about his life before all of that. Scott Harrison grew up in New Jersey. He grew up in a Christian home with Christian parents, and so he was exposed to um, that faith living life, you know, as, as a Christian. And he, as, in his childhood, he took care of his, his mother who had fallen ill and become sick. And that, you know, consumed a great majority of his childhood. It was caring for his, you know, once vibrant mother who has become really ill. Well, eventually he grew up and went to college and he landed a job sometime after college in New York City as a nightclub promoter. So he basically got paid to throw really crazy, awesome parties. Now, if you were to look at Scott Harrison's life during that period, during the, through the world's eyes, you would say he was winning at life, that he was successful. You know, he had the Rolex watch. He was driving the BMW, you know, had a really great uh, apartment or house. He even t- said that uh, two different companies, alcohol companies, paid him $4,000 a month each just to drink their brand of alcohol in public, you know, on top of everything of the salary that what he was already making. You know, so by the world's eyes, if you were to look at Scott Harrison, you would look at him and say, man, he's, he's winning. Like, you know, he's, that's, that's success right there. Well, he worked at that job for about 10 years, a decade of his life. And he got to a point where he realized that he was emotionally, spiritually, and morally bankrupt. That's how he described himself. And he knew that something needed to change. So literally what he decided to start doing was liquidating his life. He sold all the, the, the fancy stuff that he had, you know, all of his, you know, all the stuff that was getting in the way. He sold it. He got rid of his vices. He stopped doing drugs. He stopped, you know, drinking, stopped partying, all those different things. And what he decided to do was spend two years on a hospital ship 
outside on the coast of Liberia, which is a nation in the, on the continent of Africa. And he took uh, pictures for two years and told stories of people who they were helping on that hospital ship, people who were coming in with all kinds of diseases and tumors and, and, and things that they had never received treatment before. So they were just running rampant and it was just, just devastating people's lives. And it, it just, it, it broke him. It, it, it made him weep. And so after those two years were over, he returned to New York City with a mission to give people clean water. And so what he did was he leveraged his power, his influence, his ability to tell stories and to uh, bring people around a cause. And he formed Charity Water. And now, today, Charity Water is providing clean water to over 29,000 different communities around the world. Places who otherwise wouldn't have clean drinking water. Now, I believe if you were to stop Scott Harrison on the sidewalk and ask him, I believe that he would tell you that now, truly, he's winning at life. After having put away the world's idea of success and stepping into, uh, back into his faith in Christ and doing things God's way, I bet you, if you were to ask him, he would tell you he has an even better sense of success, a better sense of fulfillment, a better sense of joy, because he's doing life with intentionality. He stopped playing games and started living life God's way. And, he, and God blessed it. And it grew. And now Scott Harrison has a wonderful, amazing story to tell. And I bet you, If you were to stop Scott Harrison and ask him, he would tell you the same things that we just learned from the book of James today. He would tell you that your heart gets what your heart wants. So want Jesus. Why? Because Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your son. And we thank you for the fact that, Father, um, he comes in and just completely is able to clean house and and take our lives, God, and and turn them into something that they couldn't be otherwise. We thank you for the fact that he humbled himself and and said no to uh, living the rest of his time in heaven and and coming down here, making that sacrifice for us, Lord, so that um, we could live eternally with you. We thank you, Father, that he won and is victorious at life, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering brokenness. And we thank you that he's invited us to to join him in that victory. But, Father, I pray that you would help us to stop and slow down and and think about what it is that we want. I pray that you would direct our desires to, to wanting you. And, Father, I pray that you'd give us the strength to humble ourselves to fight, and to do life the way that you would have us do it. Father, we love you, and we pray this all in your name. Amen.